Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me, and I am sorry that I was late. Um, I had my alarm set on my iPhone, and it went off at 5.30, but my volume was turned way down, and I think that affected, which I don't think it should, um, it affected the volume of my alarm. So my wife woke me up a little after 7, and I was supposed to get up at 5.30, so I'm glad to have made it, and I'm glad that I showered last night. If you have your Bible, um, we're going to look at two passages today. One is in Numbers chapter 20, and the other one is um, in Matthew chapter 14. And it has been good to sing uh, the truth of the gospel together this morning. Um, That song by, I think it's Charles Wesley, who talks about the wounds of Christ Um, making us be at peace with God, and that Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, is keeping us in perfect peace. I don't have trouble believing that. I mean, I know it requires faith, but I feel like I'm to a point where I believe that. There are certain implications of that, though, that I struggle with. Um, Namely, I get tired of myself. I just get tired of myself. I uh, at times feel like I might be addicted to anxiety. So I think of a problem, I fixate on it, I worry about it, somehow that one gets resolved, and then I, I need a new one. I need to, to figure out something else that's misaligned, and, and I can fixate on that and worry about that. Or grief. Uh, I've been through a lot in my life uh, with the loss of both of my parents and some things with kids and moving and different things that have just gone badly. And I find myself getting tired of myself. And if I'm honest with my wife and talking to her about how I'm really doing and really feeling, I can kind of hear myself through her ears and worry that she's getting tired of me as well. And my question for you, for myself, that's an implication of what Jesus is doing right now at the right hand of God for you, is when does God finally get tired of you? When does God just get tired of you? When does God just get fed up with how you always need his help? When does God get tired of the fact that you're needy, that you're fraught with anxiety, that you're dirty. When does God get tired of you? When does God get tired of me? And I think that as we look at these two narratives that contrast a lot, I hope instead of just talking about the answer to that or making rational arguments, we can see the answer to that emerge. And I hope that the power of the Spirit through God's Word will will leave this place with a deep understanding of the answer to that question. When does God finally get tired of you? Let's look at Numbers chapter 20, and I'll read the first 13 verses. This is toward the end of the... We're we're well into the wandering in the wilderness at this point when we get to chapter 20. 
And so they've been through a lot. And here it opens with, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly and to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. The word of the Lord. In Numbers 20, we find Moses at a very low point. He's tired. He's old. Uh, He's in the middle of the wilderness with this whole congregation for whom he bears some responsibility. All of his old friends are dead. Only Aaron and Miriam remain of all the adults that came out of Egypt with Moses. Those are the only ones who are still alive. And at the beginning of this passage, we hear that Miriam, his sister, is now dead. So Moses has just lost his sister and he's feeling more and more isolated. And then you add to that that the people are dying of thirst along with their life, their livestock, and they rush him. And they're complaining again that he has brought them out to die. So Moses is in this this immediacy of this grief that his sister is dead. He's wrestling with that. He's in pain. And then in that moment, this whole assembly rushes him and they're accusing him of all these misdealings and they're complaining. And then God goes with Aaron and prays. God shows up in a powerful way. The glory of the Lord appears to them. 
and God speaks and tells him specifically what to do. Take the staff, go, gather the people, and don't hit the rock. Just speak to the rock and water will come out. But instead of conveying God's heart, that God wants to compassionately and tenderly in abundance and without cost provide for His people, instead of that, Moses pivots to the people and he curses them. And then he picks up the staff and he, and he beats the rock and it gives water. God comes through on His end of the deal, but Moses kind of has shown himself to have gotten tired of the people. He's just tired of them. He's tired of their problems. He's tired of their neediness. He's tired of their attitudes. And he has just lost his sister and he takes it out on God's people. Interestingly, God chastises Moses and curses him grievously in return, saying that after all of this that Moses has done, after all of these innings that he has pitched scoreless, that he just gave up this horrible thing against God's people, God says, you did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of Israel, and therefore you're not going into the promised land at all. So a lot of details make this a heavy story, don't, don't they? No one here really ends up happy. It's uncomfortable for us in part because sadly, I think we can easily identify with Moses. He's devastated, he unravels, and everyone ends up getting cursed. Uh, this happens in my house a lot, like with quarrels and conflict, right? Moses' sister dies and he's crushed by grief. The people of Israel are thirsty. They curse Moses, Aaron, and God. In his grief and anger, Moses curses God's thirsty people. Then God curses Moses for not upholding him as holy. When I'm down, me, I can easily identify with Moses. I want to withdraw myself. I brood in dark thoughts. I want to be alone. I forget God's goodness. I get tired of people and I often lash out at the people closest to me. I think our problem when we read through this passage is not that we can't identify with Moses. That's easy, right? And in a way, that's comforting. Like Moses isn't done here. He still shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Like he's still got a nice box seat, you know, however that works. Um, he's still a, a VIP in the kingdom of God, uh, to say the least. Our problem isn't that we can't identify with Moses, though we're comforted by the fact that other great people fail and that our failures don't define us. Our problem, I think, my problem, I think probably your problem, even though I haven't talked to you for any length of time, is that you have trouble believing that God is any different. This is how Moses is. This is how you are. This is how your husband and wife are. This is how your parents are. This is how certainly your teenagers are, if you have them. Our problem isn't identifying with human beings acting like this. Our problem is we know that we're needy. We know that we're broken. We know that we're dirty. We know that we twist our ankle in the same pothole over and over and over again. And we get tired of experiencing ourselves and our frailty. 
And we assume, it's easy to assume, that God would get tired of us the way Moses got tired of Israel, the way that we get tired of ourselves. So here's a question. What aspect of God's holiness did Moses not believe or fail to uphold? God says, you did not uphold me as holy in the sight of my people. You betrayed me. You eclipsed me. You distorted me. You perverted my character by representing me that way to them. So what is it about God's character that Moses botched so badly, that Moses distorted and perverted so grotesquely that it cost him entrance into Canaan after all of this? God was offended, not that Moses arbitrarily disobeyed some instructions like Aaron's sons had going in and making strange fire or whatever. It wasn't about that. It wasn't like, hey, man, I told you to speak to the rock. Hey, you, you touched the rock and therefore you're not. It wasn't that. It was Moses communicating something else or put another way. What of God's holiness does he hold out for you? Does he want to hold out for you? Did he want in that moment back then to hold out? What did God want to convey to his people that they would know him rightly and remember him the right way? Especially when you feel crushed like his people did here in the wilderness. That question brings us to our Gospel reading this morning where we see Jesus. We find Jesus In much the same place we found Moses, he's pitched in deep shadows of grief and darkness when we come to Jesus. We saw a prophet, a priest, and a king um, sort of trying to represent God to the people in Numbers 20, but it it didn't quite make it. It it was refracted in some bad ways because God was mediating, the, the king was mediating himself through his prophet Moses, and his priest Aaron, and it didn't go well. But here, in Matthew's Gospel, we see this perfect manifestation of prophet, priest, and king. We see Yahweh in the flesh coming, and now we get to see what we were supposed to see back then. We see it distinctly and clearly. And I hope that as you see Jesus in this passage, it will help you answer the question, when you feel bad about yourself or when you're tired of yourself, I hope it will help you answer the question, when does God get tired of me? When does God finally get fed up and not want me to come to him anymore for help? At least not with this or that. Matthew chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. We find Jesus having just learned of his cousin being murdered and he's in grief uh, trying to get some solitude he's trying to get away from people he's trying to get away from crowds because his cousin just got killed and he wants a quiet place to be alone verse 10 Herod sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother And John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. 
Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. John the Baptist and Jesus grew up together. Their moms were good friends. They knew each other in the womb, literally, and grew up together. John the Baptist is the one who saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He calls Jesus out somehow as the Passover Lamb. Their ministries intersect and overlap in numerous ways. And as alone as Jesus would have felt on this planet with other humans, John the Baptist was probably the closest thing he had to a brother in arms. And now he's been murdered. And Jesus is crushed. And he gets away. He wants to get away from people and withdraw himself and deal with his grief. But when the crowds heard it, that he was leaving, he was going somewhere, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So, Jesus is going to experience this big, needy crowd, same way that Moses did. But listen to how now we get to see God as holy. You get to see God as holy. When he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is a window into how God is so different from even the best of us, how God is holy how God is different, how he's other. Other than you and the way you treat yourself or someone that you're close with, other than Moses, God is different. And that's important as we're trying to answer this question, when does God get tired of me? When should I stop needing his help? Jesus upheld God's holiness in the eyes of the people. Jesus' immediate reaction proves the, the holy compassion of God, the, on, the authenticity of this compassion. This word compassion means literally he was moved in his guts. It wasn't just kind of like, ah, poor people. Like you're scrolling through some stuff in your newsfeed and you see something sad and you're like, ah, that's sad. It's not like that. Jesus saw this massive... Uh, crowd and he's moved in his guts it doesn't this word is only used a handful of times in the new testament at all 
And it, it's deep compassion that Jesus feels. He's at a low point. He's trying to get away. He gets away. He walks ashore. He looks up and he sees this throng of dirty, sick, demon-possessed, disease-ridden people with probably most of them halitosis. And he's just trying to get away and be quiet, right? But it says that he sees these people. He sees people like us, people like you. And his immediate response is, he was moved so deeply in his guts with compassion. That's the holiness of God that he wanted to show his people in Numbers 20 that we finally get to see recapitulated here in the Gospel. And the loaves and the fish prove the depth of his compassion. This is also important. It's not just when you have a problem, when you are in a bad way, when you are dirty or sick or anxious or fearful, when you're sinful, when your conscience is troubled, whatever it might be, this Jesus seeing you and being moved in His guts part is so important. But this, in terms of answering when does God get tired of you, but this is really important too. The fact that, that the loaves and the fish, they don't just, they, they show us the, the depth of His compassion, the, the constancy of His compassion. Here's how. Jesus, and it's like in these verbs, it's really cool. It says that um, he, uh, let's see, he took the five loaves and the two fish. Like that happened, it was, and then it was over. He took them once, and then he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. That started, and then that stopped, the blessing part. Then he broke them. And that started and it stopped. He broke them once. But then it changes. Then he gave them to his disciples. And this is a totally different kind of verb. This just means like a spigot got turned on and never got turned off. Jesus is imagined here as you think of him feeding the at least 15,000 people because it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So if we're just conservative, it's 15,000 people. And Jesus has seven items and he's this constant stream of giving bread and fish to his disciples. So his disciples, uh, thank you. So his disciples are coming to Jesus, getting bread and fish, taking them out to people that are in the grass. His disciples come back. They get more bread and fish from Jesus. They take it out. So his disciples are like these runners. But Jesus, this central figure, he's just giving constantly bread and fish. When does he get tired of giving the things that we need? It shows us here. It shows us here. Not only is he moved with compassion in his guts when he sees you, when you shoot a flare and say, God, I need help. I need help. What's his response going to be? He's going to be moved with compassion. But what if he's tired of giving you the same help for the same thing? or forgiving you for the same thing, or sitting down and having a conversation with you and comforting you over the same grief. What if he gets, well, no, because this is, this is who's at the right hand of God. This is what the throne of grace looks like in Jesus' earthly ministry. This is what helps us imagine 
what his ministry is like at the right hand of God, where we're invited to come and say everything and receive grace and mercy for help in every time of need. Come with confidence to that throne of grace. How do we know we can do that? Well, here are 15,000 people, and he's just, ex- there's, there's no end to what Jesus is giving. Moved by compassion, not reluctance, not a roll of the eyes, not, okay, I guess so, but make it quick. There's nothing of that here. That's not who he is. That's not the holiness of God. God is holy. He's different than you. He's different than me. He's different than Moses. Thank God. Thank God. So when does God get tired of you? The answer is he he doesn't. The fact, as we've sung, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, keeping you at perfect peace, isn't just a transactional justification kind of truth. It is a justification truth, but it has such far-reaching implications when you consider the holiness of God. And what's this person like who's sitting at the right hand of God? What's this relationship like? Am I here and is God just tolerating me because Jesus is so good? Or does Jesus actually love me? Does he actually look at me and love me? And he accepts me and he brings me home and he gives me a new thing to wear so that, I'm, so that I can stand here, certainly. But why? Because he loves you. Because he, he looked at you and said, that's good. That's good. I made a good thing. I love this person. This is what we see as Jesus encounters this crowd. A crowd that was a lot less better put together than you or me. Jesus was at this low point and his day starts with this bad news. Then he gets away. Then he sees these people. He has compassion. And then the text says that he spends all day healing their sick just this parade of people. He's constantly giving them specifically what they need. And then at the end of the day, they all together need food, and he gives them that without cost and in an endless supply. This is God's holiness. This is God's holy compassion. I think the question for us, the challenge to our belief as we consider this question, when does God get tired of me? I hope that the texts here help you answer that question. I hope that these vivid narratives help you answer that question, that God doesn't get tired of you. So the, maybe the next question is, then, then so what? So what should I do? And I would answer this question for myself the same way I hope you would answer it for yourself. Go to him more often. Go talk to him. He's right there. Um, He sees you before you see him. God knew that the people needed water. Jesus knew that these people needed to be healed. And he had compassion on them. His disciples identified their need for food and brought it to Jesus. And Jesus said, well, let's fix it. Have them sit down. This will be fun. Bring me what you have. Watch this. You, you, you bring that stuff to me, this meager little snack, and watch what happens. This is my compassion on people. So my problem is 
I get hung up on myself. It's a really funny, wacky, subversive form of self-righteousness. I don't want to be messed up enough to have to ask for help. I don't like asking neighbors to borrow some diesel to light a bonfire. I don't like having one of my kids go to a neighbor's house and borrow eggs. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to have to keep coming to Jesus and talking to him about my needs. I wish that we had more of a, I don't know, symbiotic relationship. But we don't. The way it's set up here is he's the one who's on the throne of grace, not me. And the way that the relationship is set up, I hope, is that God comforts my conscience and comforts my soul with passages like this, with views of his holiness that include compassion so that I just come to him and say, hey, man, I need some help. Jesus, can we talk about this? However filthy or miserable or thirsty I am, to go to Jesus and tell him. Earlier in this passage or earlier in this, um, in this gospel, famously Matthew quotes Jesus talking to this weary crowd and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a familiar phrase, but again, it's so easy for me to just kind of keep that in a box somewhere, keep that truism abstracted somewhere. But a passage like this one that we just considered together with Jesus feeding the 5,000 helps me make sense of it. He's inviting us to come. He's, a, he's inviting us to let our shoulders relax in this relationship, to accept, I need you all the time. And you love, you're moved with compassion and you love to help me because you're holy. It's your holiness that makes you like this. You like helping me more than I like needing it. You like helping me more than I can help myself. You have more patience with me than my wife or my best friends, you are holy in your compassion. And so I'm coming to you. So I hope as you've seen these two contrasting passages that really do interpret one another and, and shed light backwards and forwards on one another, I hope that you can see, yeah, I think maybe I've thought of God more like a Moses than as a holy Yahweh of Israel who wants to show compassion. And that's what got Moses into trouble. God was offended that he had been misrepresented. So how does God want to be represented to his people? Well, we see it here in Jesus. This is the invitation. Come, sit down in the grass, eat, be satisfied. My compassion will never wear out and I will never get tired of you. Amen.